Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the Colorado Hunting Hub Podcast, where we cover hunting in the West, but mostly hunting in the destination state of Colorado. You'll find information that will help you plan, prepare, and motivate you for your hunt, but also keep you updated on happenings in the Western hunting world. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, thanks for checking out Colorado Hunting Hub. Thanks to I Hunt Colorado's Facebook page. Uh, check out what guys got going on there good conversations people helping each other out for the most part and help contribute to the positive conversations that would be great uh also want to say thanks to on x we're still doing our giveaway of monthly membership i'll need to draw one of those today because that actually ends today it's 30th so we'll give away a membership but you got to get entered so your odds are great it doesn't take much so uh, click the link that's in the show description. If you saw my Instagram or Facebook, posted a picture of my new hats I got from Branded Bills. They're pretty sweet. And the cool thing is you can get those customized for the state you live in or uh, that's kind of the, their main thing. Uh, but I bet they, you can have them create anything you want. So if you own a business, they can do that. Uh, or get your state logo on there. I'm kind of a hat nut. So you can get 20% off with coupon code hunting hub. So that's still a good deal. Also a killer deal is our 25% off the wilderness athlete using the coupon code hunting hub. That'll be uh, uh, valuable for you for sure. If you're headed to the mountains and then we got a couple other new ones here. Uh, Big Agnes, we did an episode just recently with them on selecting some camping equipment and so I want to thank them and go check out their gear. So uh, see what uh, they got because they've got some awesome things that'll work great for you in the in the field. 
Victory Archery is helping support a little bit, so shout out to them and Hoyt Archery. Going to try out uh, some traditional shooting stuff, so just got to sell my old bow and round up some funds, and we'll uh, uh, walk you through the process. So I'll do a kind of an episode here on traditional archery and my process of going through it, learning it, and all that sort of thing, so you can see what's up up with that. So Victory and Hoyt are helping out with that process. The other thing is helping is my antler buying. Seems like I'm on the phone every day texting and, and messaging people buying antlers. So if you got antlers in Colorado, Nebraska, South Dakota, Wyoming, Utah, wherever, uh, give me a shout and I will glad you pay a fair price for them. So check out everything else we got going on Instagram and Facebook at Colorado Hunting Hub. But in this episode, we have Randy, good buddy Randy from the Northwest region in Colorado. He is giving us a nice little update, kind of some of the things that are going on due to the pandemic. And there's some important stuff on there that you're not going to find in your hunting handbook. So check that out. Uh, you got to you gotta really just pull up the, the website, CPW, and see some more of those updates. But there's some really, really good things that uh, he's going to share with us. Uh, and appreciate him and his time that he's he's spending helping to inform us don't forget the leftover and reissue list is out uh and that draw is going to happen pretty quick here so that'll be a a good deal and hopefully i can pick myself a deer tag off of there because i couldn't figure one out how to get one otherwise so here's randy and thanks for listening this week we have Randy Hampton from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We had him on before and get us a little update on what's all happening because it doesn't matter if it's Colorado Parks and Wildlife, there's updates everywhere, every day on something different. So thanks Randy for joining us. Appreciate you having you here and, and giving us some. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I really do appreciate that. It's, um, you know, generally most people get tired of me pretty quick, so I appreciate you having, you know patience and getting me back that was awesome no no of course love to have you anytime (laughs) so we we've got uh, a few things that have happened since we've chatted less last time we've had all the draws uh the primary and secondary draw we've had updates on covid we've had uh uh, people getting ready and knowing what tags they've gotten and getting ready we've gotten the state wildlife area license requirement in effect and a pile of other things all happening. So let's uh, start with that state wildlife area licensing requirement. Let us fill us in on what's all happening there. Yeah, I think most people have heard about it, but for those that haven't, um, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission passed a regulation that went into effect July 1st. And the regulation itself is fairly simple. Um, everything gets complicated, you know, the devil's in the details, as they say. But the regulation requires that anyone after July 1, anyone who enters a state wildlife area in Colorado must be in possession of a valid hunting or fishing license. And so that means, you know, even if you're going there just to, to hike or, uh, you know, paddleboard or whatever, in order to enter that state wildlife area, you've got to have in your possession 
a, uh, a hunting or fishing license if you're if you're over the age of 18, and that's for everyone. So it creates some new things that people need to be aware of, and it, it you know it it creates some interesting questions, and has certainly created um, some interesting pushback from some of those non-consumptive users, those non-hunting fishing communities out there um, that are really pushing back against. Uh, this particular regulation or wanting to see it somehow made a little bit different. So uh, we believe that it's it's really important to be not only engaging the people that are um, that are worried about it, that are raising the concerns, but to be engaging the community that that really has kind of paid um, for all those other uses along the way, and that's the people who hunt and fish in Colorado. State wildlife areas are generally purchased with sportsman's dollars, hunting and fishing dollars, that goes to acquiring properties that have a wildlife purpose, whether that is habitat for wildlife or recreation for hunting and fishing. And so when we look at at property acquisition, um, those are the things that we're looking for in what are we, you know, what are we buying properties to, to accomplish. And so most state wildlife areas have been, been purchased for those purposes. Um, and we can talk about some of the more interesting state wildlife areas and some of the places where challenges come up. But it's important to let people know this is just state wildlife areas. People all the time are like, oh, I can't go hiking in the woods. Well, sure you can. You know, the National Forest is out there. The Bureau of Land Management, they have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of acres. This is just state wildlife area and state trust lands that, that we lease as state wildlife areas. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of them, um, but most of them are, are pretty remote places. And so if you look at the you look at the amount of acreage it's not even in comparison the number of the amount of state wildlife area versus the amount of blm and national forest so there's yeah way, there's, there's way plenty of BLM. places to go yeah plenty of places to go yeah so sorry so, i interrupted yeah no 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 that's that's okay it's an important 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 point so, you know, we see things like, I'll, let me give you some examples of what we're kind of running into out there in the world. Um, uh, you know, state wildlife areas that have maybe a lake on them that are within, I don't know, driving distance of, of most of the communities. You know, what we find is those are, those are full of people, especially this year, that are out paddleboarding. Now, that's great. Um, we, you know, we love it when people get outdoors and we love the fact that more people are getting outdoors, especially during this, this pandemic. And that's been great. And I know a lot of guys that, you know, own sporting goods stores and sell paddle boards and they're all sold out. And those guys are very, very happy. But one of the challenges is in m- these properties on state wildlife areas, those lakes were purchased with fisherman dollars and those angler dollars bought those properties for fishing access in most cases. Um, And so when an angler goes there and there's, you know, paddle boarders all over around the shore, it can be very difficult to even, you know, cast without catching a paddle boarder. 
Um, and so we started hearing, you know, from a lot of people that said, Hey, what are you, what are you guys doing for, to, to face those challenges? Um, and that's, that's one challenge. Now, additionally, let's talk about it from a hunter's perspective, maybe an example of, um, you know, some of the amazing state wildlife areas that are, that are just east of, of Meeker, Oak Ridge state wildlife area, spectacular unit acquired, uh, for, uh, migratory, uh, for big game, uh, habitat for big game and for hunting access into a large portion of BLM that, that kind of surrounds it. So Oak Ridge is great, but if you go out there and, you know, you happen to get there on a weekend and there's, there's, you know, 10 or 15 people that are, that are hiking or mountain biking, if it's right before your hunting season, all that recreational activity will disturb uh, deer and elk off the property. And in a lot of cases, Garfield Creek State Wildlife Area, an amazing wildlife area that is you know, kind of north of the river, north of Interstate 70 in that, that Newcastle country. And the Garfield Creek State Wildlife Area was acquired actually to hold a large herd of elk on the property so that they did not have to cross the interstate for winter range. So winter range was developed there so that the elk can stay there and they're not on the adjacent agricultural lands. So it reduces game damage that, that we would end up paying. So the property is pretty important, but when the property's goal is to give hunting access up onto the forest that's behind there and to hold elk and keep them off the interstate, it's really in our best interest if we can minimize some of that recreation that occurs, you know, at certain times of year down on the, the, the flats when the elk are in there. So those kinds of properties are, um, are, are designed for a certain purpose. There's another one that's, that's drawn a lot of controversy in the, in the Grand Valley here in Western Colorado, and that would be a, a place called Loma Boat Launch SWA. And the Loma Boat Launch is a very small state wildlife area that, that is, is managed cooperatively with the Bureau of Land Management because they've got a little piece of land right there too. And uh, the, the, the property itself was acquired in the 1960s by then the, the Division of Wildlife. And they bought the property with the, the sole purpose of having a boat ramp that allows for both fishing access on the river, but allows hunters to access the river for waterfowl, turkey, even some big game that is otherwise inaccessible on public land, kind of off the river. And so it was acquired for the purpose of giving sports people access to that area, both the river and the, the public lands downriver from the Loma Boat Launch. Now, if you, you know anything about the Loma Boat Launch, you will know that it is the one of the, one of the premier um, launch places for rafts that are rafting the Bureau of Land Management uh, section of river down through Westwater Canyon, which is a, a phenomenal and amazing raft trip, multi-day 
um, that requires people, you know, have a permit and those kind of things from the Bureau of Land Management in order to do the the Westwater Canyon run. That does uh, Horse Thief and, you know, kind of all Ruby Canyon all the way down the, down the river. So the Westwater run is, is really, really busy. And so if you're, you know, you're a sports person, you go out there, then you're, 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 you know, bumping into, you know, hundreds of, of your favorite rafter friends and it gets to be a conflict. And so a lot of the pushback that we've received is from those people that are on a lake on their paddleboard or that may go out and hike a state wildlife area because it's close to their house or that want to go raft a, a river using a boat ramp that is the most convenient boat ramp. The, the, the pushback has been, you know, a lot of people saying, oh, well, you know, wait, we already pay. This is public land. Or they say, oh, we don't, we don't support hunting and fishing. I'm not going to pay for a hunting and fishing license. Why don't you come up with a different license? So let me give you the, the kind of the, the, the short version answer, if there is such a thing, Clint, in this, this whole thing. Um, the, the reason that the, the, these two arguments aren't necessarily true. These are not public lands, okay? There's there's a lot of public land in western Colorado, okay? We are a public agency, and certainly we manage these lands, and in many ways we try to manage them as public lands to allow for some access. But they're not paid for, they're not maintained, and they are not supported by public dollars, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a fee-funded agency, these state wildlife areas are paid for and maintained through the sale of hunting and fishing licenses and federal excise taxes that are returned to our agency via uh, the sale of hunting and fishing equipment. So it is, you know, sports people who pay for these properties. These aren't public lands. We do not receive on the wildlife side of the agency general fund um, monies from people's tax dollars. Now, if you go to the U.S. forests, you know, you go to Grand Mesa and Compagre Gunnison National Forest, you go to the White River National Forest, those lands are paid for out of all of our tax dollars. In that regard, they are public lands. Similarly, Bureau of Land Management, tax-funded agency, all the BLM lands that we have in Colorado, those are paid for with tax dollars. And so understand when people say, oh, public land, public land, public land, they're often talking about lands that are paid for by the public. Um, and there's, there's lots and lots of those. But these lands are purchased, these state wildlife area lands are purchased with the intention of providing wildlife habitat or wildlife recreation. The other thing people say is, okay, well, if that's true and we have to buy something, 
um, because a lot of people are willing to pay for for you know a use that they they hadn't been paying for. They'll say, yeah, okay, I'm okay with that, but I don't support hunting and fishing. I don't want to buy that license. I'd rather have a hiking license or a biking license. Why don't you sell me a you know a paddleboarder license? And the challenge of that is the way that these properties have been acquired and funded using those federal excise taxes over about the last you know 80 years. Um, those funds come from what, what are called Pittman, Robertson, Dingle, Johnson funds. They're, they're, they're these old acts that were enacted, you know, around 1920 and before uh, to provide funding for wildlife management, hunting and fishing. And those funds can't be diverted to another purpose. Now, I think a lot of your listeners, Clint, remember about 15 years ago. At that time, the Division of Wildlife came out with the habitat stamp, and the original purpose of the habitat stamp was twofold, to allow sports people to pay into a, a, a fund that would be used only for to provide for habitat, and secondly, to allow access to state wildlife areas. And so all people had to do was if they wanted to go and hike or bike or whatever, they could go buy a habitat stamp. And it seemed like a very elegant solution. Now, the challenge of that was it, it, it wasn't quite that elegant when it got to the federal level. The, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, who, who oversees those funds, determined that the habitat stamp was what, what can be called a diversion. And that means taking sports people funds and converting them to uh, a non- sports use and making money off of it. So basically by selling the habitat stamp, we were making money off these sports people's lands, at least in the judgment of the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We were making this money off sports person's dollars by using the lands for non-sporting, non-wildlife purpose you know, so it was it was a potential diversion, and that that's a big deal because it threatens all federal funding to the agency if we are found to be in diversion. So the habitat stamp kind of just went into the the singular mode of being a way for sports people to provide funding into habitat purposes, and the access portion of that went away. It, it, it also cost us all the money that was made off the habitat stamp initially was then subtracted from the amount the federal government provided to our agency. So not only did the, the, the habitat stamp not help with access, it, it reduced the amount of federal funding we received. So if the agency or the, the commission was to say, oh, we want a, a hiker pass, a biker pass, a whatever, the same rule would still apply. And so for people that say, oh, come up with a, you know, a different alternative for me so I don't have to buy a hunting or fishing license, that's just not currently, given the, the federal constraints, not a possibility. So now you have the, the new regulation, which says if you want to use a state wildlife area, you've got to have a current and valid hunting or fishing license. Now, 
Uh, that's a really, and I'm sorry if that's a long, boring explanation, Scott, Clint. It, it's it's just no, you know, it's kind of there. You're good. I've got I've and, got notes. I've got notes like crazy. Perfect. I've got questions. <laughs> probably, <laughs> and probably thousands of questions. But I'll uh, say yeah. this: sports people have paid for these these lands. Sports people have carried wildlife in in the nation for you know, since the beginning of kind of these, these agencies and, you know, going back into the early parts of the, the last century, the pushback is very loud at the political level against this particular regulation. And, and the one thing that the, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission may not be hearing from is sports people. Um, you know, we tend to be pretty quiet and go about our day. And so it's pretty important that people stay connected, at least here in Colorado, stay connected to these issues and stay involved with the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission and certainly the the elected officials to make sure that the interests of sports people are being represented and are you know represented all the way up the up the line. So now, yeah, I'll shut up and Clint let you ask any <laughs> questions you might. Have. Well, I I first was surprised to hear state wildlife not referred to as public land, but it makes complete sense how you how you explain that because I I literally wrote public land and then underneath that said. It's just like a state park, national park, whatever. You got to pay to enter. But, and the same applies, same thought, just, I, I, it's just a perception. It's just how you look at that. And that changes then how that is regulated, used, whatever. Uh, And that comes then down to the $100 are what put that thing there in the first place hunter and fisherman Mm -hmm. and it was not the the paddle boarders that put it there so i i i am in support and and i think so far what i've heard is a lot of hunters loving it they like that they they thought Mm -hmm. they i think i think we we as hunters could be proud that our license dollars did something (laughs) and because oftentimes they, they go off and you don't always get to see those those really big or cool uh new shiny things uh but this one is we can see it it's like oh that's a Mm -hmm. we got a we acquired this new piece of property that we can now recreate on uh within a and and there's a lot seems to be a lot of closures on on uh uh, garfield creek for sure i've i've recreated there and hunted there uh i've not recreated there i actually used to work there uh, for parks and wildlife doing a little fencing and weed control uh but (laughs) and i've been up on on oak ridge and meeker playing around there as well and uh so there is some closures and things but it's really cool pieces of property i really enjoy those those state wildlife areas and and i think at this point already i will have already a different perception going into those as a hundred dollars put these here and that's Mm -hmm. different than than a hunk of blm that i hiked hiked through so that's kind of cool and i really and i really think if I really think if listeners uh, hear this and uh, I'd, I'd 
I'd really welcome some comments as to like it, don't like it, whatever. Uh, but I'd love to hear that. But I, to me, it, it makes me proud as a hunter that my license are going to, to do something pretty cool. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it is a, you know, it's a distinction that really right now needs to be made. These are, you know, there's a regulation that probably should have been done 80 years ago and it wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been any pushback, even if it was done 20 years ago, I, I think everybody would have went, eh, okay. But, you know, it's to the point that the, the recreation, outdoor recreation has become so, you know, thick, so dense, especially during this, this pandemic. I mean, you go anywhere and the parking lots are full, the hiking trails are packed. And, and so people are looking for places to, to recreate. And, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have anything against paddle boarding. I mean, I, I, I love stand up paddle boarding myself. Um, so it's, it's not that, that I want to say, oh, okay, don't, don't do that. Uh, we don't like that or anything at, at all like that. We just want to say, you know what, if, if you're going to do that, one, you've got to follow the rules for when there are closures. Too, you got to be aware of where this stuff comes from, you know, that the sportsmen p- protected all these places um, through the years, through their own, their own dollars. And three, you got to pay, you got to, you got to help maintain it. You know, we, we have to take care of the bathroom or, or, or pave the parking lot every once in a while, or, you know, have our, our staff out there to, to clean up trash. Um, and so we can't do that with with no contribution and to just sit back and go, well, but they're public lands. My tax dollars go to it. That's that's not true. Um, they are public lands because we are a public agency. And technically, under the definition of a public land, they would be a public land. But they're not public lands that people are, are paying to support. Everybody got this down to Clint, unfortunately. They got it down to a maybe an argument about money. And and we really have to step back from that. This is not Colorado Parks and Wildlife looking for another way to make money. What it is, is Colorado Parks and Wildlife looking for a lever to allow us to better control the access to these properties. And in many ways, if people say, oh, gee, I have to I have to pay to go to that state wildlife area or pay to go to that state park, our hope would be they go to the state park. They're designed for recreation. That's their goal. Or go to your local park and, you know, paddleboard on the on the local lake. So in many ways, this isn't really about money for the agency. What this is about is controlling access to these lands to try to make sure that they are used by and usable by the sports people that they were designed to 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 help. So it's it's not just a money thing, and I hate it that it, it really kind of boils down to that, but there is a much bigger picture at play, especially when those recreational uses uses can be challenges. Now is it going to affect people who hunt? Let's go back to Oak Ridge for just a second because I, I want to give an example where it will. Let's say that, that you know, you, Clint, and, and you know, wife and, and I, don't, I, I, I don't know about your family, but, you know, three kids decide that, you know, it's time to go 
hunting season and everybody wants to go along and maybe just camp with you on the weekend and then they'll go home or whatever. And you go up to the Oak Ridge State Wildlife Area, which does allow camping during the hunting season. And so you get up there. Recognize if any of your kids are over the age of 18, they're going to have to have a hunting or fishing license valid to be on that property at that time. Now, if your wife just wanted to go up and while you go off and hunt, she enjoys sitting in the cool fall air and, you know, reading novels, great, fabulous. But in order to be on that state wildlife area, she's going to need to have a valid hunting or fishing license. So there can be some things hunters have to watch out for. Um, or if, you know, your wife goes with you when you go to fish on a state wildlife area. She's going to need a hunting or fishing license in order to, to, to go there. So there's things people do need to be watching out for. And there may be some implications for those people who do hunt and fish. Now, our agency is aware of all the concerns and all the complaints and all of the comments that we've received. We're looking for some alternatives. We're looking for ways to make it fit a little bit better for everyone. Um, but as I've explained, there's some hurdles to that too. So I hope that helps clear this up a little bit in people's minds. Yeah, and it's a it's a step, making one step first and then uh, making adjustments. That that makes perfect sense. The rest, the yeah, the rest will sort itself out. There may be there may be properties where we say, gee, that's a property um, that would be better on the state park side of our agency because it, it, it's really more suited to recreation. So there may be some exchanges of properties. There may be exchanges of properties with, you know, the Bureau of Land Management or the U.S. Forest Service. There may be properties that we say, look, it, it's no longer serving the purpose that it served in 1965 when we bought it. Um, and so, you know, we're looking at those properties on a, on a property by property basis. There may be some that are sold or um, and, and others that are expanded. It's, it's just, you know, there's no there's no simple way to do this. And you're right. This is the first step. Yeah. And one thing I know that's been discussed at length with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, as well as recreation groups of all kinds, is a solution to how we deal with recreators throughout the entire year. The bikers, the boaters, the hunters, the fishermen, and trying to figure out all those things. And and I think this is, I wouldn't say a solution, but it's it's a step in the right direction to, or to help getting there and having one little piece there that the, the bikers and whoever are also contributing and, and being a part of the when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply part of what's going on and i understand you know if if they are anti-hunters or whatever that they don't want to buy exactly a hunting license so yeah maybe uh maybe another type of license i don't know uh, maybe not i i've that's not my problem to figure out <laughs> that's, uh, 
but uh, fortunately, uh, it's not it's not mine either. Uh, my <laughs> my challenge is only to explain where we are, not not necessarily yep. where you know where where an appointed commission might go. That's their prerogative, and the Parks and Wildlife Commission will work it out. The the last thing I would say on this this topic, and and it, and it covers a lot of the the other challenges of the the crossover between recreation on on public land and and you know hunting and fishing on public land stay involved um, it is critically important that sports people stay involved with the management of of all of these lands that they that they pay attention you know whether it's the US Forest Service redoing a forest plan whether it is the Bureau of Land Management redoing a travel management plan or or it is you know, those of us at Colorado Parks and Wildlife taking a look at, um, you know, issues like state wildlife area access and, and staying involved with the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission. So it's it's very important for sports people to stay active, to stay informed, and to let their opinions be known. Right. And that. Uh- one last little thing I, I'd really want to highlight what you said is you used the word disturbance uh, on wildlife. And I think that would be your first argument from the non-consumptive users is that, well, we don't want to, we're just, they put this here just to make the hunting better for the hunters. No, that's not, uh, that's not what I heard. I heard the word disturbance with wildlife as the focus, focusing on taking care of them. To, to, so that they can winter, so that they can uh, have less disturbance. Because when you open up that season, we get that disturbance of of hunters and four wheelers and everybody coming in. So having that uh, also more disturbance of of bikers or whatever, I mean that's added disturbance and more stress and things put on on wildlife. That uh, is kind of the I think some of the root of the issues and problems that we have with recreating all year long is not giving the wildlife the the rest that they need when they need it. So, uh, but with our little staff of one, as in myself with Colorado hunting hub, I support it. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're we're one. I'll, I'll mark that down. One in favor. There we, there we go. Hey, and I called, I called, uh, Scott Tipton, our uh, one of our elected officials, uh, when it came to the Great American Outdoors Act stuff, and hey, that one notch that that's there's somebody I talked to at their office, some intern, he made one little mark in my support of the Great American Outdoors Act, and that's hey, <laughs> you gotta, it's a bunch of ones that make a, a whole bunch. That's true, but absolutely, absolutely true. So, so uh, let's move on. I did a. episode probably episode seven it said it was called the one and only covid episode little did i know that (laughs) this was this was an entire pandemic and uh i guess labeling my episode the one and only covid episode way back when was not realistic at all so I want to dive into that. I wish and you were what, right. I, I'd love to be talking about other stuff. <laughs> no joke. No joke. So tell us what's going on with uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife and you guys' response to our pandemic. 
So first and foremost, probably the biggest question that we get, and 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 it is as a, as a spokesperson for the agency, it is the number one question I get right now. As a matter of fact, there'll be, I, I think I've got two other interviews slated this week with, with journalists who want to talk about what's this mean for hunting season? And holy cow, I know that September and the start of archery season is just around the corner. But I can't even tell you what's going to happen next week. So what's it mean for hunting season? I don't know. We rely on, you know, all those health professionals to kind of guide the way for this. And it's really, really hard as, a, as an agency when you take money, you sell people a hunting license in the, you know, the primary draw, the secondary draw, you sell them a hunting license and they don't get to use that license for four or five, six months. And then they, they, they don't know what the challenges will be. Well, you know, will their state let them travel? Will our state let them in? Will counties shut down? Will there be a, you know, a second stay at home order and nobody gets to go anywhere? It, it, there's so many unknowns. The one thing that, that we have done as an agency, though, in, in preparation for that is anyone who has a license has purchased a license, they can turn that license in and it must be done 15 days prior to the start of their season. Um, and the, the, the old regular, the current regulation actually says 30 days, but we're saying 15 for, for this particular mess, 15 days prior to the start of the season, anyone can turn it in if it's COVID related and say, look, I've got this or that or, you know, this issue or that issue, and they can receive both a monetary refund and their preference points will be restored to the, the pre-drawing level. So they get both money back and preference points back. Now, there's still a $15 processing fee that applies because we've paid probably for some credit card uh, fees and different things like that and and the fee to process it and the staff to do all of that but the 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 person can get both their their money and their points back and that's um, huge i don't so, i don't know if yeah that's that's a that's a big deal i don't know of anybody or anyone that hasn't lost out on money at some point in this <laughs> whole thing yeah. I, I was Planning on going to the Division I NCAA National Wrestling Championships in Minneapolis, and I got refunded my tickets, not my $36 Ticketmaster fee or whatever. And I, and it's just, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the way it goes. I mean, there's there's going to be some of those things, but if you paid 300 some dollars as an out-of-state or as a non-resident and you get away with paying only 15 because crap happens then i think that's a i think that's very accommodating probably and, I, a, and yeah probably a, a fair that. fee we, we we tried to keep it so it covers you know what what expenses we would have um in that in that process and that's a typical thing even if you know you had some other refund uh event um that you you know a medical event or something like that where you applied for a refund in years past you would still pay that 15 dollars. so that's not that's not a new fee. It's not a COVID-related fee. It's the it's a standard fee on if you turn a license in. 
Now, the, the thing that this COVID refund policy does, and I, I, I think because of what we've seen in the rush in the primary draw and the secondary draw and, and the number of people that are buying licenses and getting outdoors and the interest in all the licenses that might be available, what we are hopeful of is if any of these licenses are turned in, they'll go back into the pool that can be purchased by other hunters. And it's likely that somebody can buy it that can travel. Maybe there's somebody local that, you know, had put in for a, a prime unit and, and didn't draw. And they say, you know what, I, I'll take that. And they're willing to, to use the points. Or somebody local that says, oh, I can pick up that license and, you know, add it to what I've already got. I'm going to be up there hunting deer anyways. I might as well grab an elk tag. Um, so it might make some other things available um, for, for people to hunt locally. So, it, you know, people need to be watching. If there's something you missed out on or there's something you're interested in, be watching. Those, the, the leftover list will be out and the, the, you know, the reissue license list will, will, be, will be coming out. But say that person that drew that tag used three points to uh, get that, that tag. They turned it in and now it's on the leftover list say I apply for that or go in and quickly I click through and apply. I go in quickly through and, and, and buy it. Uh, if I'm quick enough, I don't use my points in that. Correct. You, uh, I believe that you're still going to need your points in that. So, um, at least initially, uh, in the way that I understand this is if it's point returned, um, then it would be, um, it would still require points, but you may be into an area where I'm not entirely sure and our licensing people are probably smarter than I am about the ins and outs of that. Oh, okay. Well, we'll just leave that alone for now. <laughs> we'll check that into that. Okay. Um, I could find out an answer, but not during the... <laughs> not during our recording, no? <laughs> right. Not during the boundaries of this particular podcast. So yep. the best answer is, I don't know. <laughs> Perfect. So the, uh, what's the overall impact on, uh, that we're seeing because of pandemic uh, on, I, I can't know, say hunting, it, but yeah, but we can say on yeah. people's interest and applica applications. Sure. And and, uh, yeah. Everything is our, you know, you hate to say that there's been benefits of a pandemic because I get it. You know, this is a serious thing and, and people die. And, and But as we look at it from our agency perspective, across multiple fronts, there are places where, you know, Colorado Parks and Wildlife um, has has seen both activity levels rise, you know, park visitation way up on the park side, uh, and then watching the, the demand, the primary draw, uh, the number of applications we received was up by thousands and into the tens of thousands of applications more than we received last year. The secondary draw, which is brand new this year, so it was going to be up no matter how you sliced it. The secondary draw, at least the rules for how it operates, are new this year. 
was was up amazing numbers. Thousands and thousands and thousands of, of, of people putting in in that secondary draw process. Now, what we see is the interest is there. People are looking to hunt and fish and get outside. It isn't just Colorado. I was reading a story earlier today. Illinois is up. New Mexico is up. So, you know, lots of states are seeing it. And there can be a couple of, of things. People say, well, is that just the, the, the people are, are putting in? Um, if you really dig into the numbers a little deeper, what you notice is non-resident applications are about level. They're about flat. The real big increase is in resident applications. The resident application increase can be from, from a couple of things. One, it can be that interest in getting outdoors. But it can also be people who say, oh, gee, I generally you know, would try to hunt uh, using the points I have in, in Oregon or, or, you know, go to Michigan to see my family and hunt with them. But because of COVID, I'm going to stay closer to home. And so there may be some of a boost there from people that would travel and maybe aren't um, that are Colorado residents. So there's a couple of factors at play. The bottom line is, there's there's a lot of people that, that are trying to get out and hunt and fish in Colorado, and that's that's good news because all of that means more funding for things like the you know state wildlife areas and 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 to provide for you know putting those sportspersons dollars to use. Stores, retail stores, kind of show a good picture of of all of that. If you just even look through and see uh bikes are gone pet kayaks are gone um heard a lot of things around firearm sales through the roof and and that's for maybe some of that might be a little bit of uh doomsday whatever <laughs> there's probably other reasons for that too i i was in a, a firearms class over the past weekend and um, the instructor was saying, you know, there's 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 just this huge boom in people even trying to get into some of the some of the different um, courses that that he teaches. It's it it is a big boom in, pardon the pun, a big boom in the firearms and ammunition sales world. The interesting part of that is earlier we were talking about the the Pittman Robertson Dingle Johnson funds which are federal excise taxes on the sale of things like firearms and ammunition. And so all of those people that may be buying a firearm or ammunition just to, just to maybe, you know, home protection uh, or, or something like that, that's also increasing the federal pot of money that is then redistributed to the states based on the number of hunting and fishing licenses that are sold in the state. Like I said, I don't want to say there's, you know, all these silver linings for the agency in terms of COVID, because it is a serious issue. But the other way that, you know, we'll see future benefits from that is those funds that come to our agency for things like state wildlife areas will be increased by all these people that are buying guns and ammunition 
for whatever purpose they're buying it for. And that'll be a good thing. <laughs> that'll be a great, really good thing. Certainly not a bad thing. Nope. And another thing I've heard is is uh, not just the typical recreation, but in the hunting world of uh, seeing an increase of folks interested with uh, supplying their own food with meat prices going going a little crazy and having some not having not being able to just walk into a store and get it or walk into a store and pay for it the price that you're you you're used to so I, I think there is some interest in folks and that's been kind of a trend over the the years the last five ten years of people a little more interested in, in some more of that healthy eating and uh, where their meat's coming from. Lean, healthy, organic, grass-fed, you know, you you name it, it's it's out there on the hoof. Yeah, and I guess you could say it comes at a cheaper cost. I don't know. (laughs) After a rifle and a tag (laughs) and a gas and a truck and a four-wheeler and whatever else and the camo and everything, but uh, I think it comes way cheaper. in In the snow and yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think there's that interest and those are things that are not going to be necessarily trackable uh, exactly data wise too, too easily, but maybe this pandemic is what put some people over the the hump and they thought about it, thought about it. Maybe this is what, yep, I'm going to do it this year or I want to do it this year. And I thought that was a really interesting thing that you said that it's residents, not non-residents. I, I for sure, uh, that includes myself. I normally apply for Wyoming antelope and I didn't apply this year. I'm only buying the preference point. So I could see a little bit more uh, or less interest in the traveling to hunt, but maybe more looking internally in this, in each own state. And I bet that, I bet those trends are pretty similar ac- across multiple states. I would, I would assume, but we, we don't really know that. So that's an interesting point. Yeah, you would think so. Was there any other impacts and things that that are coming down the pipe or things that we can need to know about as we approach hunting season? No, I mean, there's so many, you know, there's so many unknowns. There's, there's, you know, questions about, okay, well, you know, some counties require certain things. Um, The big thing for, I think for most people is just stay informed keep, you know, check, know before you go is kind of the thing that the the state's been talking about. And that's going to be true uh, when it comes to, when it comes to heading out to hunt, know the county you're going into, know what their restrictions might be when the time comes. And I would say, uh, I know a lot of guys that, that they rely on the paper brochures and everything else, but checking the website and looking there for those updates. Cause obviously there's not going to be much for anything, a public or paper printed and distributed. Uh, that's, that's not really a timely thing or a possibility. So we got to check the website and I suppose the uh, non techie are not the people that are listening anyway. Cause <laughs> I don't know how many times I've heard people say what's a podcast, but uh, so uh, those people that aren't listening to podcasts, not looking at the website, they're not, they're not listening anyway, but, uh, I, I need to do some more of that also. And, and just looking on the website more often at the updates versus 
relying on the good old 30 day return policy. Now we've got a new 15 day return policy. So that's, that's good to know. Can you uh, review for us some of the, the upcoming important dates for, for a couple Uh, of things? Absolutely. I can try to do that. So let's take a look. Um, You know, as you go into the month of August, leftover day, the 4th of August, Tuesday, the 4th, leftover day. That one's pretty important um, in in terms of, you know, people trying to pick up one of those leftover licenses. Um, The leftover day is going to look a little different because of the the pandemic. We don't want people crowding the offices. Head out, you know, if you... Personally, I go I go online for most of the stuff that I want, and and I'd encourage people to do the same on those leftover licenses. Um, buy buy them online if you can. Um, the offices are going to be you know crowded with people that maybe don't have the technical savvy to to go online. Um, but the offices are all limited, and people are you know masking up, and the line's going to be very very long because you got to put six feet in between each person and all of those things. So leftover days coming up the 4th of August. On the 6th of August, the over-the-counter licenses go on sale. So if somebody's buying a, you know, an over-the-counter bull tag or something like that, those licenses go on sale then on Thursday the 6th at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, fall turkey season, September 1st. Archery season's coming up on September 2nd. Um, Fall bear season, September 2nd. Um, So those dates are are really, you know, just around the corner. Here we are, you know, first part of late July, early August. It's it's a month off um, and we start talking about archery season. So, you know, be ready for that. And then, you know, it... It isn't much longer after that uh, you get into October 10 and that that first rifle season cranking up. Right. So I gotta go. it'll be here uh, probably before people know it. Yep. I have been saying and saying that you should have had your bows in the bow shop uh, months ago, <laughs> but uh, I got to go take one little, I, I picked up a new rest and I'm going to switch it out in the, seventh inning here which i don't like to do normally so i'm switching out of rest and uh i want it for free at a 3d shoot so i was like well it's a little a little nicer a little better and so i'll go for it and go get make those final final adjustments make sure i'm shooting good and and uh, uh i'm pumped there you go there you go but anyway thanks randy appreciate you and all the info Clint, awesome. I, I appreciate you having us on. We appreciate, you know, certainly all the people that are that are listening, that are that are sports people out there. And uh, last thing I'll leave you with: stay involved. We need we need everybody, um, everybody, so that we can make good decisions as an agency. And and really truly appreciate your podcast and you helping educate all all the people out there that are that are members of the public. We're learning to do it in new ways. So we've as an agency moved past what's a podcast to yeah okay i can i can be on one of those right outside of this one church town there's a gold dirt road to a whole lot of nothing got a deed to the land but it ain't my ground this is god's country